I'm on the ride of a lifetime. I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore, and I won't be coming back here. Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to try to worship God in spirit and in truth. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We welcome you tonight, wherever you may be watching streaming video, our live studio audience, and people who will be watching on the archives. I want to show you a new advancement. This is brand new technology. Uh, we've incorporated elements from cooking shows and from art shows. And look at this. Watch. Seth, do it. Seth created this, so now no more whiteboards. I can just... Uh, I can just do my, my stuff here is, and see, and we can just, we can draw things out, we can do all kinds of, all kinds of illustrations, and I don't have to do that whiteboard anymore, and then Seth can come right back to this, and then I can go back to this, you see, so it's going to be really cool. Good job, Seth, thank you for that ingenuity, keeping the show running. Had a pastor and friend out of Washington State, Pastor Van from City Life Church, email with some comments and questions. Let's read through them because he's a seeker of truth. He writes, hey, Brother Sean, as I follow your weekly messages, I would like to throw some input into them with some questions. You are certainly welcome to do whatever you want with the questions. Obviously, I appreciate your heart to seek the truth. Number one, concerning the body of Christ... Where you read out of Corinthians last night, I teach that Paul was talking about a local body. He was talking about the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians. And he clearly wrote to a local physical church and a spiritual worldwide body. This is the comment that he makes. Now, I would agree that he clearly wrote to the physical church of his day. But I'm not sure Paul knew he was writing to the spiritual body around the world that would go on today. Uh, there isn't much indication of this in the narrative. We don't have Paul write, you know, hey, church at Corinth, this is what the body is. Oh, and by the way, all you guys who will read this for the eternities to come. So, but uh, Pastor Van continues, for me at least, it's not hard at all to read into that the body of Christ was clearly made up of local bodies, but all of us have become a part of a worldwide spiritual body of Christ through our baptism into the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, which you read. So this is an important point. It's my opinion that the apostles were writing primarily, first and foremost, to the local churches, known by their geographical location. The church at Smyrna, the church at Thyatira, the church at... Um, Corinth, the church at Ephesus, all by the name of the ge geography, okay? And at that time, those churches were, in fact, one church. They were one church under apostolic direction. I also believe that this is the church, this is my opinion, that Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against. I also believe this is the church the apostles were writing these epistles to and telling them, hang on, he's coming back, he's going to get us, he's going to protect us, Hang on, hang on, hang on. The apostles' writings support this claim exhaustively. We don't see them speaking to our day, to us at our time. We see them speaking, even Revelation, to the seven churches there in Asia Minor. And it lists those churches. Since then, the apostolic writings are certainly applicable to the spiritual body of believers. Um, but... 
I don't think they have physical application, not only because the times and cultures are different today, but because the age has been wrapped up. The pastor continues, without having the spiritual authority, spiritual control, and all the isms that you and I would agree should not be in the body of Christ, can you see the viewpoint that the apostles wrote to local church bodies and worldwide spiritual body? I do. The local bodies were one church physically and historically, but again, I see very little evidence that the apostles knew they were writing to a worldwide spiritual body out into the future at all. I can say that because David, for example, when he wrote Psalms, David wrote about his enemies pestering him and doing things to him and, and, and kicking their heels against them, against him, right? And then later on, Jesus takes David's words and he assigns them to himself, that his friend Judah, Judas has done that to him. Was, was David aware when he wrote Psalms about his own experience that that would be applied to Jesus later? I don't think so. I think David simply wrote about what he was inspired to write for that time and it applied at a later date. So then uh, Pastor Ben makes his first point. I agree with you that our current church culture should be able to challenge, discuss, debate any pastor's teaching on any biblical subject. That should be welcome inside any church. Great to hear a pastor say that. I think if I lived in Washington uh, State, I would want to attend Pastor Van's church. Point two, I also agree with you about the Protestant Reformation, that a lot of it was actually evil and not godly at all. I have a very difficult time adhering to any of the Reformationist stuff because of the evil they did in the name of Jesus. Absolutely. Question two, before he ends, can the local church body and worldwide church body happily exist together by learning to put love over all the isms. He says, I believe it can. That's Pastor Van at the City Life Church. I think it can, Pastor Van, no mean to rhyme, but uh, the only way it will ever have a chance of succeeding is when the local brick and mortar church freely teach the doctrines and practices that they want. Okay, they can teach whatever they want, but the pastors and the congregates have to teach and be taught that they accept all other views. They have to, we have to get to the point where, they, where we do that if we're calling ourselves Christian. All other views and positions so long as the biblical definition of gospel is maintained. When the biblical definition of gospel is maintained, everything else is up in the air, pretty much. I'm talking everything because there are debates on almost everything. In other words, no division over doctrine or practice should ever exist as long as the good news is embraced. I don't care what it is. People are free to believe in practices they want. This allows for denominational distinctions to exist for those who agree with them, but love and liberty will reign freely and rule among all gospel proponents. Thanks, Pastor Van. And with that, how about a moment from the Word? And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. Last week I came into the studio after the show and some brothers and a sister were discuss, uh, in discussion over my strong stance on, against money and the sway of money in the church from the pulpit. Uh, one longtime fan and supporter of the show, Brother Larry, pointed out that sometimes... It's the people in the congregation who are making uh, demands. They want more comfort, for instance, in their church and are willing to pay for it. And when this is the case, the congregation may be demanding a better building or cushioned seats or air conditioning. And the pastor is kind of put in a position where he has to take up collections to meet the overhead needed to maintain these expenditures. And the opinion was that I might be being too hard on pastors who sometimes are not building their own empires, but are merely giving people what they want. Uh, now, I admit, I am heavy-handed on points of items of reform, if they're going to matter at all. Uh, but there's a reason for this. And let me tell you what it is, right or wrong. Let me go to two elements from my former secular life to help you explain my thinking. The first one is uh, from fashion design. And the second one is from Machiavelli. 
Honest to goodness, this is how my brain works. In fashion design, fashion trends, they move in a single direction until they reach the point where they can't go that direction anymore, and then they do a radical change the opposite way. Let me give you an example. Skirt lengths. They start at the ankle, and they start rising over a period of time, especially with culture. And let's say they go to mid-calf, and then they go to above the knee, and then they go to mid-thigh, and then they go to you know, almost crotch level. There's nowhere else the skirt can go. The skirt doesn't go from the highest point down, to, down again one notch. It goes from the highest point it can reach down to the length again. The reason is, is because women don't want to be seen one year wearing thigh, uh, mid-thigh, the next year wearing crotch length, and then going back to mid-thigh. It looks like they're wearing a fashion from just two years early. So what it does is it goes from ankle to calf to knee to above knee to thigh to crotch length, and there's nowhere else to go. It goes back to long, long, long. It's a radical movement the other way. And it's to show that things have been, have moved and, and changed and it gives, makes, lets people make a lot of money. So that's how the fashion industry works. Radical change is noted when that happens. Uh, Niccolo Machiavelli, in a book called The Prince, he advises governments or people who overtake another country to take one or two approaches when they overtake that country. Do nothing at all. Because the people of the overtaken country will love you if you come in and you maintain the status quo. That's option one. Or utterly reform everything, including killing all your dissenters. Destroy them, and then the people will absolutely fear you. And so, in other words, a balanced approach will ruin you in Machiavelli's eyes. Just like the systematic approach in fashion Will ruin, the, will ruin people's wardrobing. You gotta go to the extremes. So I emphatically am against all the superfluous applications in Christianity today. If I get up here and I just talk about, well, let's just try to cut back. Pastors, you know, maybe we, and just do that. We're not gonna see, we're not gonna see anything happen. You have to go for the throat or you have to agree with the status quo. And so that's why I go for the throat when it comes to money and when it comes to offerings and tithes and building up physical empires, um, I, I, I fight against it. Last week we had a caller point out that when Jesus was questioned by Pilate if he was a king, Jesus said he was and he said, to this end I was born. And for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. He also noted in that same setting that if my kingdom was of this world, then my servants would fight. Jesus makes it clear by his mouth and a number of other different areas that his kingdom is spiritual, spiritually run, spiritually based, spiritually understood, operated by the things of the spirit. The kingdom is not of this world. It's not physical. It says in Luke 17, 20, 21, And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, Listen, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Can't see it. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Okay? Paul said in Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not in meat and drink and coffee houses and bagels like we serve at campus, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 4, 20, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And of course, as the old standby in 1 John 2, 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. There is precedent here of the Christian community. All that is in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the pride of life, nice building, nice cushions, whatever it is, we like a nice bath. It's just physical meanderings for the flesh. And if we're going to pursue a religion that is based in spirit, let's do it. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 25, 33. Therefore, he said, take no thought for your life. What you shall eat, what you shall drink, 
nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than the meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. How much better are you than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not more clothe you, you O you of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after these things do the Gentiles seek. For your Father in heaven knows that you have need of all these things, but seek you first the kingdom of God which is in us, with the implication being that these other things are not part of the kingdom of God, and he says, and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. In order to illustrate the utter fail the church is experiencing from believing that the body is physical and has physical mandates and that, the pa and that pastors might have to kowtow to congregate's demands, our approach and attitude has been drastic. It's been hard. It's been in your face. Uh, sort of like John the Baptist coming out of the desert. And, you know, in the face of all the soft-robed religionists, he wore uh, camel's hair and leather and ate grasshoppers and honey, locusts and honey, and while they dined sumptuously. Are believers today de demanding luxury and comfort? You bet they are. The more, the better. The better sound system, the better audio, the better environs, the better trips, the better food, the better sumptuous coffee, the better this, the better, they are demanding it. But the shepherds of the flock need to be willing to stand up to their cries and point them to the spiritual kingdom rather than placate their demands on, on uh, flesh. Before I pray, I want to read another email we received from Australia from Mock. It says, they say there's a new age coming, and that may be so, but far more important, there's a new wave coming. There's a swell of people who love God and love their fellow man that is building up on earth. These are not people pleasers. They are God pleasers. They walk in the spirit and know only love. They have been broken and beaten, not by the world, but by the church. The wave is growing and soon will bring real freedom to a dying world where so often wounds and bruises are ignored by many labeled Christians. The power of the wave will go where no sea has gone before. The impact of God's love will overcome all who stand in its way. There will be a cleansing in the body of Christ, a washing of love by His Spirit. The wave will fill the highways and byways, accepting all who call on His name. How wonderful will that wave be, Sean, when we can stand beside each other and not judge, but love one another as He loved us. Sorry to ramble, Sean, but I really sense an awakening coming of brothers and sisters who love God, but no longer, for many reasons, go to church anymore. The wave will engulf them and all those who love God. The world will know we are His by our love and that alone. Love you, mate. Keep paddling, he says. Mm. Amen. Jetty is clapping. So uh, couldn't agree more. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. We are in physical bodies. We do relate to each other in this world through physical means. But we, we can't serve God and mammon. So we pray that you will help us to differentiate between the two and just reprioritize if it's needed. And not judge people who don't. If people want to worship in opulence, let us hold our tongue. I, this is a show to point these things out, but personally, Lord, let me have a heart of non-judgment of anybody and what they do, and, and, and likewise, anyone who is tuning in. We, we thank you for our volunteers and staff, and we pray for everybody who's involved in the ministry and those who are seeking truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we are building a case for why, and next week we're going to use, I guess we're going to call this the ESOL, uh, but we're building a case why true Christianity is utterly spiritual, wholly subjective, and that the focus on brick-and-mortar objective religion with all its demands and distinctives is all but over. 
it is headed toward extinction in my opinion. Uh, I know that means probably another hundred years or something, but it is headed there. That essentially is what Mark was just describing. That wave is starting to roll, it's starting to crest. Last week we pointed out that there are two essential ways Christianity approach and approaches doing church and church authority. These are those that claim apostolic authority first, and those like the Roman Catholics, the Eastern Orthodox, and the LDS, who claim that Joseph Smith received authority back from God in, 18, in the 1830s. And then there are the Protestant claims, which said back then that authority, otherwise known as Christian priesthood, was shared by all believers and is not centralized in one specific institution. Roman Catholic apologists today suggest that the church was started with Pope Peter uh, governing and that scripture could not be taken alone. That church traditions and standards and authority and leadership had to be included in the mix in order to maintain order. To support this, they often point to a vast, to the vast number of Protestant denominations that have said, we just go by what the scripture says. And the Catholics and Eastern Orthodox and the LDS say, look at what has happened to Protestant Christianity. They say it's just the Bible that we get our authority from without the traditions or authority, uh, lines of authority. And look at what they've got. 35,000 plus denominations scattered throughout the world that all believe a different essential to God. To support this, they often maintain that uh, they have kept order and they have been able to do a systematic approach to religion because they have kept tradition and authority and the scripture in one where Protestants have tr had traditionally kind of said, we just use the scripture. They usually quote early church fathers to support this claim. Here are some. Athanasius said, but beyond these sayings, let us look at the very tradition, teaching, and faith of the Catholic church from the beginning which the Lord gave the apostles preached and the fathers kept. Talking about early church fathers. Basil said, Now I accept no newer creed written for me by other men, nor do I venture to propound the outcome of my own intelligence, lest I make the words of true religion merely human words. But what I have been taught by the holy fathers, holy fathers, that I announce to all who question me, that I announce to all who question me, in my church, the creed written by the Holy Fathers in Synod at Nicaea is in use. Ambrose said, quote, Wherefore, all other generations are strangers to truth. All the generations of heretics hold not the truth. The church alone with pious affection is in possession of the truth. Cyril of Jerusalem said, but in learning the faith and in professing it, acquire and keep that only which is now delivered to thee by the church, which has been built up strongly out of all the scriptures. Take heed then, brethren, and hold fast the traditions which you now receive and write them in the table of your heart. And then Gregory of Nicaea, of Nyssa, excuse me, said, and let no one interrupt me by saying that what we confess should also be confirmed by constructive reasoning. For it is enough for proof of our statement that the tradition has come down to us from our fathers, handled on like some inheritance by succession from the apostles and the saints who came after them. All of those are powerful quotes. And they're all suggesting, listen, you can't just take the Bible and say, this is what truth is. You have to couch it in what the fathers, that not, not, it's not talking about the apostles, the apostles who gave it to others, who gave it to others, who gave it to others. And these guys, when they're writing, saying those others, those guys are fathers. We have to hold sacred what they have said is true. Uh, it's pretty powerful if you take it at face value, you might convince yourself that the church was to continue, was established on scripture and church tradition and lines of apostolic authority as these five church uh, uh, fathers uh, suggest. 
But note that all of these quotes came after Nicaea. Every one of them. And so Nicaea was the time when they laid claim to authority and brick and mortar centrality. That's when they said, okay, now we've captured it all. This is what we have. And so we have these quotes from these guys and they look real good, but look at the dates, okay? I would suggest it would naturally be their stance once Nicaea has happened. Yeah, Constantine's done this. This is kind of the state religion. This is what we stand on. Next week, we're going to look at what some of the early church fathers had taught, what the apostolic fathers represented. And we're going to see how it morphed just in that short period of time and how heresy was present in some of those early church fathers. But let's consider the position seriously before we go to the phones. I want to ask, are these quotes proven valid by history? In other words, do any of these churches that lay claim to authority, apostolic authority, with their men and their history and their traditions and their practices, have any of them proved to be impervious to corruption? Are, have, have they come through and just shown we have had the authority, we have the approbation of God, and we've done it right? See, if God's church was managed by tradition and authority, I would think that we would have an incorruptible history. I think we would have a church that was truly in line with God. But quite the contrary exists, which can be proven by just a cursory study of Roman Catholicism and Mormonism and even Greek Orthodoxy. And the defenders of these apostolic uh, churches will say, well, God is working through fallible men. And because he's working through fallible men, the church isn't perfect. We've had our difficulties, but it's been God working through us. Uh, I got to tell you something. In my estimation, the line of authority faith fails to justify their very existence by the fact of their very sordid and secret and fallible history that exists. True believers, true believers throughout history, individual believers, irrespective of the church they attend, they have remained uncorrupted. They have been the line that has come through. True believers led by the Holy Spirit who humbly seek God in spirit and in truth. But the physical uh, churches, they've been nothing but a disaster. Let me give you an insight that kind of came to me yesterday, and I hope I can articulate it here uh, really quickly. And we're going to have one more point, and then we'll go to the phones. In the church, God has given his word, and he's given us his spirit. When Christ was here, Christ was the Word made flesh. And, and it was by the Spirit that you would know that. Both the Spirit and Christ, the Word made flesh, were incorruptible. They were without sin. They were without darkness. They were something God trusted to come into this world and guide us. Today... We hold in our hands this book. And almost every solid Christian will say, this book is trustworthy. This book, this word, made instead of flesh, made print, is reliable. And what we say is, you know, it's a miracle that God could take all the manuscripts and this book, which had so many people who hated it, over the past 2,000 years plus, maybe 5,000 if you consider the Old Testament, and have tried to destroy it, but God has brought it to us in, 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 with an errancy. Original manuscripts, and even now, it is really, really good. It's an amazing book. The question I have for you, the statement I have for you first is, God, when he gives us something, it's not corruptible. It is reliable. Jesus, the Word made flesh, reliable. The Holy Spirit, reliable. His Word, reliable. How come if he could bring this through all the history with such perfection and goodness, he couldn't or wouldn't or didn't bring the physical brick and mortar church through church history with such perfection? Do you know why he didn't? Because it has nothing to do with those churches. It has nothing to do with church history. That's not how God reaches us. It's imper that, that, that's, that's corruptible. That's things that are shakable. Those churches will fail us every time. 
it's supporting my argument that, let me tell you something, he uses perfect things. If he's going to give us something, it's going to be something we can trust. You look at church history from today, 2015, scour the world and go backward all the way to Nicaea and, and before, and you're going to see a very sordid, ugly, terrible, murderous, bloodshedding, political, money-grubbing, sexual, deviant, dark church. What was true in that line? The believers who by the Spirit and by the Word were led through, but not the brick and mortar. Okay? So, we're left with the Protestant idea that it's Scripture alone now. That's what we're going to focus on. I know I was supposed to this week, but this approach is so full of problems and holes, it's left us with 30,000 plus denominations. Before presenting the issues with Sola Scriptura, I want to use something that has inundated social media this past week, and I know about it because my daughter sent it to me, and it perfectly illustrates what we've been talking about. Perfectly, all right? You've probably all seen this picture by now. Everybody's sick of it, but there's a dress, and a photograph was taken of this dress in a London shop. Let's see the other one first. That dress, look at it. Now, what colors, two colors, do you see? We have someone in the audience who's answering me. Jed sees black and blue. I see plain as day as the nose on my face, gold and white. No question. I would go to blows with Jed if I didn't love him over the fact that I know that dress is white and gold. And Jed is, and Jed, Jed, <laughs> Jed says that it's black and blue. What has happened? What colors do you see represented in this dress? My daughter's seat is black and blue. All right, so I'm wrong. I am wrong. The dress and how it really looks, looks like this. Show them the first one. This is what the dress really is. Those of you who are convinced you were looking at a white and gold dress, I don't blame you. That's how I said it, but it definitively is cut out of blue fabric and black fabric, okay? So, what's the deal? Apparently, the photo is one in a million shot that took the object photograph, the blue and black dress, to a place in the color spectrum that was so obtuse that it caused every individual's brain, when they looked at that photograph, to decide for itself what they were seeing. Uh, my brain, when I look at it, says, I see white and gold. My daughters and Jed, when they look at it, they see black and blue, okay? The point is not that the dress is actually black and blue. Neither is it the point that I see it as white and gold. The amazing lesson we get from this situation is people can, will, and do see and interpret things differently through their brains. Honestly believing that what they see and, and believe and think is right without question. And if we will do this, over a two-color dress around the world. It's gone ballistic. We're fighting. I'm hearing people talk about this all over the place. What do you suppose is the result of taking a book of ancient writings written in ancient languages, translated into different languages, and composed of 1,189 chapters, 31,102 verses, and 788,000 words? And, and we think we're going to agree, or we want people to agree on everything that we say is how it should be. And I might be seeing white and gold, and you might be seeing black and blue, and we fight. Friends, the only way to approach Christian faith is subjectively. By the Spirit, and without any condemnation for people with different views. Any condemnation. Only by love. And I think God intended it to be uh, this way from the beginning. I really do. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-590-8413.
801-590-8413. Uh, we're going to take a spot really quick, and we're going to come back to Mark from Ireland. One, two, three. One, two, three. Blessed is the man who endures We sing the word here at campus. You can watch the uh, sermons online live, www.actuallycampuschurch.tv, uh, www.campuschurch.tv. And we go through the Bible verse by verse, sing the word of God. Also, those songs are available, like it says on iTunes. Let's go to Mark in Ireland. Mark! Hey, you Irishman. Hey, what's the crack? What the crack? I don't know what that means. I can keep him. I'm keeping well. How are you? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm okay. I sent you a long email uh, last week. Um, did you get it? It was really long, and well, it had a, a link to a YouTube video. Wait a second, Mark. Wait one second. Okay. I think I think I've got it here. Oh okay. no! Oh no! But don't don't read it out. Don't read it out. All right. Don't read it out. Okay. Okay. Tell me about it. Okay. Um, he, right. I am a member of the LDS Church. And I, I'm a member for ooh, 20 years now. And you're, you're the only person that I can find who seems to know Scripture and seems to know, um, seems to have a good, deep understanding of it. Um, and I wonder, what was it in, in the church, in the LES church, what was the tipping point that made you go, hang on a sec? Hmm. And I'll tell you why I'm asking. Because I um, went to the temple. And I went through the whole uh, the, the the whole process, um, you know, just to be respectful to to the temple. And there's a part in the temple where you you know they touch you and you you know the part I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Unfortunately for me, I was a um, abused. When I was a child, I was a good Catholic schoolboy. I was an altar boy, and there was a new church opening up. The old one got knocked down, and there's houses on it now. And I went to the new priest, and I asked him, "Can I be an altar boy in new church?" And he said, "Well, come come on into the sacristy, and we'll talk about it." And that was the first time I was abused. And he looked like the temple worker. Hey. So in the whole, where you go for that part of the temple, it's, it's a very small kind of, like a, a confession box for, you know, if, if yeah. and if, you know, and, and, and he, he's close to you and he's, 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 he's there. he looks like the guy who abused me for four years. 
and afterwards I find it, well, no, sorry, recently I find out now that it's changed. That yeah. that piece or that part of the, the temple experience has changed. Yes. And I sent you a, uh, a survey that was done uh, for, for members in Canada and uh, America. And the survey was from the church to members, adult members, and it was about the temple. But, you know, did, did you find... I, 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 I don't want to read out any questions, but there's probably a hundred questions. Did you get, were you one of the people who got it? No. Okay. Um, I have it here. It's interesting reading, and there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to read it too. But after that survey was sent out and they got them all back, they changed the <laughs> temple uh, process on foot of the results wow. of that survey. But that goes against one of the core principles that I was taught in the discussions and such. I was taught that it's the same gospel now as it is yesterday, as it is tomorrow, and we've got the, we've got it all. We've got, you know, the, the reason we've got a prophet and uh, two counselors is because, you know, the, the Godhead and we've got apostles because, you know, we're 12 apostles and so on. So I, I, I'm thinking, right, yeah, you know, there's, there's something in it. And I still, I, 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 I still feel strongly about, uh, you know, so, so, some, I still feel strongly about what I know about it so far. Does that make sense? It does. Right. But why would an organized, well, it's not like, yeah, I, I, I feel, you know, rather cold referring to it as an organization, but why would they change something that is, you, you, you know, you remember. Why would, why would they change it to suit the, the, the people rather than saying, no, this is of God and, you know, it, 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 it's the same yesterday as it is going to be tomorrow and Alpha and all that. Mark? Yes, sir. They change because they, their whole uh, ambition is to survive. And they, they link that to modern revelation, and it's their, their escape. When times change, they change. And when people mm -hmm. start to become upset over certain things and practices and start to raise their voice, they change it. And people are happy. They're satisfied. It's like getting the air conditioner. They're happy that it was changed, and they stay. Um, right. Can I challenge you with something, my brother? Absolutely. My challenge is... And maybe you've already done this, so forgive me if I'm being redundant, but go to God and just say, you got to show me the truth. I am dying with all the false religion and the practices of men and people pray. I've, go I've ahead. I've gone to God and I've stopped at the word dying because I am. I'm dying. Yeah. I don't know what's true and what's not. And I'm afraid that if I take the step to leave this church that has been a part of my very, very start of my adult life, yeah, and it's been with me for decades now, and all my friends are in the church, um, Mark? I'm probably, I'm probably single because I'm in the church. Um, <laughs> and I'm not happy about that. Um, Mark? I'm dying. Mark? I need to know. Yes, sir. Uh, you're going to continue to die until you're going to trust him. Him alone. Mm. Not me. Not a bishop. Not a Catholic. Not a missionary. Not yourself. Go to him but he knows your heart and he's going to come when he knows that you have said, okay, take it. 
you take it. I promise you, my brother, he's a good God. And what he has in store for you, you go to him in faith, trust him and pour your heart out and just ask him, don't let me be deceived by anybody or anything. And Can I ask you a question? Yes. Were you ever a bishop? No. In the, in the LDS church? No, because you sound like one. Because yeah. that's exactly what... The, um, a couple of years ago, I, I kind of felt the same way, but it, it kind of it tapered off. <laughs> but now it's come back, and the bishop said pretty much the same as what you're saying. Down on your knees, um, you know, address Heavenly Father respectfully, and pour <laughs> your soul out to him. He knows the desires of your heart. And he does. So the bishop's pre preaching part truth. The difference is, I am not having you asking you to get on your knees or do anything. I'm just telling you, it's got to come from the heart. He will show you. Your bishop, if you came back and you said, Bishop, I went to God and he told me the Mormon church isn't true, he'd say, well, that's not what God would tell you, so you haven't heard. I'm not, gonna, I'm not here to do that. You, it's a subjective thing, Mark. Go to him. Open up the Bible and read John, not the LDS version. Yeah. And just I'll, give it I'll a chance. John's one of my favorites, actually. Good. Hang in there, brother. I, I can hear the pain, and I understand, in some sense, uh, some of your angst and difficulty. You're in our prayers. Uh, I'll, try to I'll try to find that email that you sent and see if we can correspond. Thank you very much. And what I'll do is I'll probably I'll give it a month or two, and I'll call you back. Because I know there's people listening to this. So I'm going to go now and... If any of your listeners have heard what I've said, help me. All right. Me. We're going to pray for you. Can I pray? Let me, I don't usually do this, Mark, but let me pray with you right now really quickly, okay? I'd be obliged. Thank you. Uh, God, I come to you with my brother and uh, from a completely different place far away, and he's struggling, as we all do in this flesh. I pray that you will pour your spirit upon him mightily. You will give him new eyes to see, a heart to feel, ears to hear truth, and that he'll be able to discern the lies of religion, the lies of men, the mistakes that we, that we present him, and that he will have a relationship with you through your son based on faith because of grace that you bestow upon him. Lord, we pray for a miracle of your spirit in his life, and this is life eternal, that he will know this is life eternal to know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Help him to have the faith, Lord. Bless Mark now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I feel it. I feel it now. Keep it's going, Mark. Keep going. Not true. I don't know what to do now. Open. Terrors now. Oh, my God. Open up. Mark. Okay. Op Mark. I'm going to go. Mark. Hey, yeah. Yeah. Just relax. Okay. Just relax. Don't, you don't have to make any sudden moves. I wouldn't go to yeah. preaching on the housetops. I wouldn't go resign from the Mormon church yet. People are going to get yeah, mad at me yeah, for saying yeah, that. Yeah, I guess. I, I just, you, the, the, the authenticity of your prayer, it made the, the wee hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Oh, my goodness. That was the most powerful feeling I have felt in a long, long time. Open up, John, and keep reading, Mark. Thank you so much. Thank you, my brother. God bless. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. We have Jason in uh, Sound Canada and Aaron in Tokyo, Japan. Let's go to Aaron in Tokyo, Japan. Aaron, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Oh, hi. Hey, Aaron. Um, yes. Is this Sean? Yes. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Um, yeah, I'm here in Tokyo. I've been watching your show for about a year. I was introduced to it from a friend of mine uh, here, another missionary. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, and I've been here in Japan for about five years. And I, I've really enjoyed how things are going with this show. And I just commend you for your bravery and standing up against people who are trying to tear you apart, which I think is awful. Um, one thing I just want to chime in with things I've thought about while watching the show is that 
I, I went, um, when I first moved here, went to a local Japanese church, and um, it was good, but my, my family and I just wanted to try something different and find a church with some younger people in it, so we went to a different church plant of a larger church um, downtown, and going there, it's a branch off of Hillsong, and they don't have their own building, um, which is commendable, but they're also renting in a really expensive area in uh, downtown Tokyo. And it's, it's kind of the bells and whistles kind of service, things like that. And I was there and they were, they're really heavy on preaching about giving. Tithes are huge there. There's like a band intro and sometimes the tithe message is a little bit too long. Um, things like that, but things you've been saying, I've just been nodding my head along watching your videos and thinking about that church and others that are trying to model themselves after it or like Mars Hill. I don't know if you've heard about them in Seattle, but um, things aren't going well for them. Like they had to close their doors um, for many reasons, but um, basically just looking at church differently now, looking at it as a, as a community of believers instead of a, an institution. I just, I really thank you for, just pounding on this, and I think it's something that's really important and worth repeating for a long time, as long as it takes. Thanks, I really appreciate you watching, Aaron, and so grateful that we have a man of, of spiritual reason out there in Tokyo. I pray your uh, family many blessings as you share this and make a community of real believers out there. That's, that's my goal. I bet. Thank you, John. Thank you, God bless. All right, God bless, bye. bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Jason in Owen Sound, Canada. Jason, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Um, I just got a quick comment, actually, that yeah. uh, you reminded me of. Um, it was a quote I read in a book years ago, and it went uh, to the extent of, it's not the boat in the water, but the water in the boat that causes it to sink. And likewise, it's not the Christian in the world, but the world in the Christian that causes it to sink. Huh. Like it. Which, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Very good. And Yeah, and I had to pause the show to go to another room, so I don't know how the conversation with Mark ended, but um, just a little, I don't know if he's watching, but if he is, like, I just... Like, I, I feel for him, you know, like, and I just want to kind of maybe hopefully give him a little encouragement in the sense that, you know, don't don't let what some person did to you determine your walk with God. Like, use it to press closer and seek him, basically. Like, I don't know if that'll help at all, but just a little I'm, something to... I'm sure it will, Jason. Um, Appreciate your heart. Okay. God bless you, my friend. Bye-bye. <clears throat> I once heard a couplet, all the water in the world, no matter how hard it tries, cannot sink the smallest ship unless it gets inside. All the evil in the world, the blackest kind of sin, cannot hurt you least one bit unless you let it in. And that's the whole, it's not, it's the thing about the, the getting into the heart. I mean, externally, we're in the world. We eat, we ride motorcycles, we... We go to movies, some people get tattoos, uh, and things like that. That's, that's the external stuff, but when it gets in the heart, we've got a problem. We got this in the mail. Uh, these are two cards for a church. They have the Disney character on it. Uh, looks like they're, it's a romance picture of the Disney characters, uh, and it says happily ever after on the other side of the card. And then here's, a, uh, here's some of the information about this, the new church, and how you, can, how you can donate online and use your phone with push pay and set it up. And then they have this, this expensive thing that came too. And it says that the name of the church, casual atmosphere, serious faith, no weird stuff. That's what it says. I kind of like that. No weird stuff. Don't come to campus. There's weird stuff here. All right, uh, listen, we have an email. Uh, this is from Pastor um, Wallace in uh, Bill Wallace. 
in, no, excuse me, Pastor Bill in Wallace, Idaho. He says a word to the wise. When debating, never apologize to the opponent because it shows lack of preparation or a weak position. I disagree with you. If I'm wrong and I've made a mistake, I'm going to apologize, Pastor uh, Bill. But I understand when you're talking about debating. And then he says, stay strong and direct. And rolling of the eyes and sarcasm is out of place. Um, <laughs> I agree. I cannot watch myself in a debate. Why? Because it, I am too passionate and I despise the things I do. That's why I don't debate. I'm, it's not for me. Uh, uh, but it's so hard to deal with what I perceive. I'm not saying it is disingenuousness. And if somebody is not being just forthright in talking, if it's like a joust or a debate, it drives me crazy. My problem, point taken, Pastor, thank you. Oh, wait, off-air question, Danita, please keep it up on the screen. <laughs> Gonna fire you? Why do you believe God let all of these religions exist when all they do is put people in bondage? I think God is a God of freedom and liberty, and he lets people do what they're going to do. I mean, he doesn't micromanage, I don't think, and he lets things go. But through it all, he does his good work. I mean, why does he let people suffer and why people get pain and all that stuff? I think through it all, he lets uh, good work get done. Um, we had a great uh, email from Dave McMurdo. Uh, Dave is out in Scotland. And he says that he knows William, who was from Scotland, who called a while ago. He says, William's from the lowland and I'm from the highland, yeah, but it's okay. And uh, he makes the point that the church is so dead there, the attacks are not, uh, don't flow upon you if you have divergent opinions. Thanks so much, Dave, for watching. From Dr. Rivera, word of encouragement. He says, keep going on. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Thank you so much, Pastor, I mean, Dr. Rivera. And then we have David Brown. He, uh, I'll cover that one next week from David Brown. Finally, D says this, it's interesting to listen to opponents of your stance. Let's say someone was talking about circumcision the other day and how wrong it was, according to Paul. But if you jump to Acts, you read that Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him and circumcised him because he was of the Jews who were in those places for they all knew uh, that his father was a Greek. And then he says, you can bring up where Jesus says, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. But then the apostles come to him later and they say, hey, we have two swords. And he says, it's enough. He says, opponents of the Bible say it's contradictory, but I found that, tr that the truth is suspended or held in tension between these opposite or polarized views. And, and he says, I think God intended it to be written this way so that we could not be dogmatic but to keep us in relationship with the Holy Spirit and keep it real, living open, authentic, instead of just going, yep, I got that one figured out. He says that would cause us to disengage. But when there's a tension involved, we have to learn to love each other and get along and hear different views. Okay. He says, Paul said, and this is a great passage. We're going to wrap it up with this. To the Jews, I became a Jew so that I might win Jews, Paul says. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though being not myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that I might by all means save some. Trinitarian, non-Trinitarian, can we do that or no? In this day and age, is that not possible? Can we not take Paul's advice, the way he approached things, and say this doctrine, this dogma, pre-trib, post-trib, amillennial, whatever it is, can we move around or is that just wrong? As long as we have the core issues of the gospel in our hearts that Jesus came and saved a sinful world, God in the flesh, suffering on the cross, resurrected the third day, ascended into heaven, sits on the right hand of the Father. If we agree on those things, saved by grace through faith, if we agree on that, can we just get all the rest of this stuff and throw it out? I hope we can because I think it's going to mean the difference between the church continuing on in this day and age and, and just will withering away either by 
attrition or becoming so worldly it's a disgust. With that, we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride Going nowhere I am an existential cowboy on the And I won't be coming out, I'm going in. This man's awake, a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the 